Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. For the Lord to answer the prayer that we just sang would be the greatest blessing He could give us on earth. And that is to have a pure heart. For from a pure heart would flow gracious and godly speech and it would lead all parts of our lives to be pleasing to Him in a great way. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. But if the Lord doesn't help us keep it, we shall not keep it. And with His assistance, we can keep it. And with His great assistance, we can keep it powerfully. And may the Lord help us do that. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, and let us consider a C, sin of the heart. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Covetousness is discontentment with what you have, or an inordinate, an unnatural, and extreme desire for things that you don't have or that others have. We don't want to be covetous because God made it one of the Ten Commandments, and He's ordered against it. And here, the Apostle Paul teaches us against it in Hebrews 13.5. The word conversation here means your lifestyle. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Let's be content with the things that we have. And it starts in our heart where we're discontented. My life just isn't amounting to what I wanted it to be. I wish I had such and such. Or I wish I could have that job. Or I wish I could be like so and so. I wish I was prettier. I wish I was taller. I wish I was this or that. We're covetous. And out of the Ten Commandments, God chose fit to teach us not to covet anything that our neighbor has. And we want to have that attitude from the heart. And so we have it right here. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content. Contentment is the opposite of covetousness. If you're content with what you have, then you're not covetous. If you're covetous, you're not content. And it goes on to give us a reason for how we can be content. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. If God is with us, If God will never leave us, what do you need? If He's with us, you're richer than you can imagine, than we can describe. God is with us, and He has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Who cares what we have in the way of the little toys of this world if the Lord is with us? And so one sin that we want to examine our hearts for is the sin of covetousness that we are not content with what we have. Lord, save us from that. It's learned behavior. Contentment is learned behavior, and Paul taught us that in Philippians chapter 4. These verses you know well, but I repeat them to you for our reminding. Philippians 4.11, Paul said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, how could the Apostle Paul, with his miserable life, be content? 
I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know, we hear that verse quoted all the time, usually out of its context, but its context is the learned behavior of contentment in a life like Paul's where he suffered a great deal. And he suffered more in the way of being abased than abounding. And he suffered a lot of hunger than he did fullness. But he had learned to be content. We want to learn that. Lord, help us. Asaph would say in Psalm 73, after a philosophical analysis of life and seeing how prosperous the wicked appeared to be, he went into church and he was reminded of the future of the wicked, that God's going to destroy them. But the righteous, with little, are going to be with him forever. And so he said in Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26, Whom have I in heaven or earth beside thee? Thou art my portion and my strength forever. There's nothing that I desire in heaven or earth beside thee. And he learned all of that in one short chapter of a philosophical question, philosophical failure, and then philosophical deliverance by going into the Lord's house and being reminded of the future of the wicked. We want to be reminded of that right now. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you want to be successful in life, God's rule is this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I shared with you a rich man giving up an exalted position to take a lesser one for godliness. Because he is content with the Lord. This unknown brother to you. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you can ever master that short little sentence, that's real prosperity in life. Godliness, so that you have a clear conscience with God, and God is blessing you, and God is walking with you. Godliness plus contentment, that means you are happy with the things and circumstances in your life, the house, the car, the family, those things, you have godliness, plus you have happiness with the things God's given you, you've got it made. And it's a choice to be godly and to be happy with the things you have. But you know, we have a sin in our heart called covetousness, and the Bible compares it to the sin of idolatry. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5. Covetousness is when something becomes more important that we can't be happy even though we've got the Lord. If you've got the Lord and you're unhappy because you don't have something, then you have made that something more important to you than the Lord. So what is it, what is that called when something is more important to you than your God? Idolatry. Look at Ephesians 5 5, and this is twice in the New Testament this way. Ephesians 5, 5, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. No one's going to heaven who is covetous without repenting of that covetousness. The example of someone going to heaven is a person who's not covetous, and doesn't stay in covetousness. And notice that a covetous man is called an idolater. Lord, save us from idolatry. Do you have any covetousness in your heart for anything that you don't have? Is there anything bothering you that you don't have? Or are you content 
because you have the Lord. And you know, we, we have more of the other things and stuff than anyone else in the history of the world. Plus the Lord. We of all people should never have a problem with covetousness. Lord, save us from it. Forgiveness. You say, I need an E so that I can remember these. Okay. Envy. Let's look at envy for a moment. Go back to James chapter 3 with me. James chapter 3. Those verses that I had laid on me at the age of around 18. Envy. It's the feeling of mortification. It's the feeling of just being killed. Something's just grinding you and hurting you. And it's the ill will that you have towards someone else by you considering their superior advantages. Envy. You're jealous of them. You don't like them being more successful than you. You don't like them being more attractive than you. You don't like them having more persons of the opposite sex interested in them than you. You don't like them because they've got a bigger house. You don't like them because they have an easier lifestyle. You don't like them because their husband's nicer to them than your husband is to you. Blah, blah, blah. You envy. Envy is just a terrible thing. And the Bible describes it as a terrible thing. The Bible says about envy, listen to this. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30, a sound heart is the life of the flesh. If you have a heart that responds to what I preach today, it is the life of the flesh. It will make your, it will make your actual physical existence and the rest of your life better. In Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 4, it says, wrath is cruel. And anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? Envy is terrible. What did envy do when it got into the heart of Cain? He killed his brother. What did envy do when it got into the hearts of ten brothers of Joseph? They sold him into slavery. What did envy do when it got into the hearts of the Jews? They killed the Lord Jesus Christ. Envy is terrible. In James chapter 3, verse 14, But if ye have bitter envying. Now when we used this verse earlier in the first service, I went after the word bitter. That acid feeling inside of you against other people. But here it's called envying and strife. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. So let's talk about the envy in your hearts. Do you envy someone else? For them having more ability or more success or more of anything in their life than you do. You shouldn't. There's no place for it in the house of God. We shouldn't envy each other at all. It's a terrible sin. It will eat us up and destroy us. Instead, how do we get rid of envy? It's so easy. Be more excited about their success than your success. Do more celebrating for their success than your success. Do more talking about their success than your success. Now it's contrary to nature. We want all conversations to revolve around us. To the degree that you want that, like that, or enjoy that, or allow that, you are feeding envy, pride, and other sins that we should or could look at. We should be excited about each other's successes and want to celebrate them. We should inquire about their successes. 
I love writing the updates to you to put in as many successes as you will share with me so that the rest of the church can be excited about your successes because the Bible tells us in Romans 12.15 and 1 Corinthians 12.26 that we are to rejoice with those that do rejoice. And that's, that's the easiest way to get over envy is instead of envying their greater success, celebrate their greater success. Admit the fact. Of course they're better looking than you. Of course they're more successful than you. You say, I don't like those words. Like them. Choose to like them. I'm so glad that brother got that awesome raise. I'm so glad that brother has that shiny red Corvette. I'm so glad. Are you glad for other people? Do you know you can get to the place where you're more excited about something good happening to someone else than you getting that thing? Some of you are shaking your heads no. Don't don't do that to me right now. I'm not in the mood to be your friend. You can get to that place. And it's exciting to get to that place. Then your heart is free from envy. The Lord can be closer to you and you'll be happier for it. If you get envious of someone else, That envy chases you day and night. You cannot be content with whatever you have because guess what? He's going to get something else just a little sooner and a little better than you have it. And it it never ends. It just eats you alive. Lord, save us from envy. We want to rejoice at everyone else's blessings. I hope that when you read, there's two ways to read the church update. What did he say about me today? Or, wow, what did he say about anybody? Look at that. Yes. Thank you, Lord, for blessing so-and-so. Thank you, Lord, for doing that for another person. That's how we should look at things. You know these things almost sound impossible. These things sound almost idealistic. Well, that's because the Christian religion is better than impossible, and it's better than the idealistic. It is God's way of living, and it works wonderfully if we would just put it into practice. Lord help us. Okay, let's go to forgiveness. We've got an A, B, C, D, E, F. Forgiveness. Mercifully forgetting the offenses of others to love them instead with positive thoughts and actions toward them. But we're talking about the heart. We're talking about forgiving someone inside. Matthew chapter 18. You know this. It doesn't matter. We are being reminded today from the Lord about the importance of heart religion. That our hearts need to be clean of these sins. Have you forgiven everyone that has ever hurt you in any way from your heart? I don't care what you've said to them. I don't care what you've done for them. The Lord is asking you and me from the heart, in the heart, Are we entirely free by having forgiven everyone that has offended us? You say, but they offended me. As I said earlier, thank the Lord for that. And yes, we're all going to offend each other. But it's how we respond to them. But I'm just sick and tired of this particular person that offends me. You're not much of a Christian. In fact, you may not be one. Because you are offending the Lord Jesus Christ by being offended by that other person. 
And he hasn't struck you dead yet. He will soon. Get over it. And I'm very serious. I'm representing the high king of heaven to you and to me. There should be no one that we haven't forgiven. There should be no offense that we can't forgive, won't forgive. We should just forgive and forgive fully and forget it all and love them instead. Matthew chapter 18. This is just such a wonderful passage of Scripture. Verse 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Do you have any of this spirit inside you that there's a limit? Peter wanted a limit. Lord, how oft? How many times do I have to put up with my brother sinning against me? This isn't sin against God. This is sin against a person. This is somebody offending you. This is somebody hurting your feelings. How often, how many times does my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven? Lord, can we draw the line at seven? You know, Peter was hoping that I can't wait for number eight. You know what kind of a spirit that is, don't you? Do you think he was saying seven because he thought that seven would cover everything? Or was he saying seven so that he could put a limit on it so that when it turned into number eight, he could bite back and get some personal revenge? That's how the human heart thinks. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Oh Lord, thank you for raising the bar so high. We don't want Peter's bar. We don't want the first pope's bar for forgiveness. We want your bar. And it's 490 times. And who's able to keep track of 490 of the same offenses and know what number you're at? If you come to me and you say, I'm at 485, and what should I do when it breaks it? I'll say, are you sure? Can Have you dated all those for me? Because it's such a huge number. The Lord's purpose was not to give us a line at which we would stop forgiving, but to say, just keep on forgiving. The human heart says, if I do that, they'll take advantage of me. If I do that, they'll walk all over me. If I do that, then I'm going to be abused. No, you're only abused because you won't forgive them. Forgive them and go on. They can't hurt you when you forgive them. You say, "Uh uh-uh, they're hurting me, that's why I won't forgive them. Their hurt will not bother you if you would learn to forgive them. And the Lord would bless you in the matter. When you don't forgive, then the Lord doesn't bless you, so you mull about that thing and it just stews inside you until it creates bitterness. Then we have grudges and bitterness and envy, and a lot of these sins just fold into each other because we don't forgive like we should. You know, the next verses from 23 through 35 are just wonderful. I'm not going to read them to you. There was a king, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king. And there was a man that owed him 10,000 talents, which is an enormous amount of money. He had nothing to pay, and so the king freely forgave him. But that servant that was forgiven so much, 10,000 talents, a huge weight for you, for measuring gold and silver, was forgiven 10,000 talents. That servant went out, and this passage says, found a fellow servant of his that owed him a 100 pence and took him by the throat and said, pay me now. And the man said, have patience with me because I can't pay you the hundred pence right now. But that wicked servant wouldn't show him any mercy and threw him into prison. Threw him into debtor's prison. Then the king found out that the man he had forgiven 10,000 talents 
had abused a man that owed him only a hundred pence this way. And the king called him in and called him a wicked servant and told him how terrible that was, that he should have had compassion on everyone in his life, including this other debtor. And his Lord was wroth. I'm in verse 34. I love this passage of Scripture. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. He put him under torture in prison to get every cent out of him. Now, who's the Lord in this passage? Almighty God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the man forgiven 10,000 talents? You and me. Who's the man that offends us and owes us 100 pence? The other little people that hurt us. No matter what they do to you, it's 100 pence. It's just in your mind that it's more important because you're thinking too highly of yourself. It's a hundred pence. I could name some atrocious crimes, and I've done it before. Atrocious crimes. It's a hundred pence. Do you remember me sharing with you a few months ago the widow, the Christian widow from Texas that forgave the militants in Libya for killing her husband when he was out jogging? who had dedicated his life to serving the Libyan people. Remember that? You know, you read a story like that and you say, I don't know if that's a level of Christianity. I don't know if I have it within me or not. Well, that's why we're getting this sermon today. Can we forgive others? She wrote a letter that was published in the Libyan papers forgiving those militants that had killed her husband. Do you think she benefited by doing that in her relationship with God? Do you think that the Lord probably took vengeance sooner or later? If you know the God of the Bible. That is the best way. Is to leave the vengeance in His hands. And to forgive them yourself. Oh, forgiveness is so exciting. Because the Lord does it to us. Who who haven't you forgiven right now? I mean, 100%. Totally clean. Stop and think right now. You know, I'm, I'm reeling through every one of you as I look at your faces. I'm as selfish as they come, but I can't think of anything that any of you owe me. I mean, who, who are you thinking about? You're looking at me. It's so nice to have a clean slate and to forgive everybody. I get hurt. I'm as sensitive as they come except for God's grace. Oh, Lord, thank you for teaching us about forgiveness, but teach us a whole lot more. I love this passage right here. You never forget this passage. 10,000 talents versus 100 pence. And how that Lord reasoned with him, I had compassion upon you. You should have had compassion upon that servant that only owed you 100 pence. How could you do this? And the Lord was wroth. God was angry. And when we do that, God is angry with us. And if you wonder why you don't have a relationship with the Lord or God does not hear and answer your prayers as quickly or as thoroughly as you wish he would, it's because in this case, you haven't forgiven someone. Verse 35, the last verse of this chapter. So likewise, you're going to debtor's prison. God's going to torment you. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you 
Notice, we have so, we have likewise, and we have also. Have I taught enough English grammar in this church to understand that those words right there are meaning that the torture and the prison of verses 33 and 34 are being brought to bear on your life? So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. I want to get you excited about forgiving. I hope that you'll be excited about forgiving. Forgiveness is a crucial, frequent rule of godliness. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus taught unlimited forgiveness from the heart with his example of 10,000 talents. Enormous amount of money. And you know, when people offend us or hurt us, it's so small. We can just blow it off. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, the Apostle Paul dealt with the church at Corinth about the fact that they were going to small claims courts. They were taking church members to court in the first eight verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it was just horrifying to the Apostle Paul. And he looked at it this way. Why in the world would you take an internal church dispute between two brothers and take it to a court of the world? We are going to judge angels. Isn't there someone in the church at Corinth that can settle these things so that Christians aren't out there before the world with their fighting and their squabbling? That was argument number one. But do you know what argument number two was? Do you know what's better? Suffer yourselves to be defrauded. It is better to be defrauded. You say, no one's going to defraud me. Oh, that's a spirit that's not a Christian spirit. You should be looking forward to the next time someone defrauds you so that you can forgive them. You say that sounds masochistic, sadistic, and just crazy. It sounds Christian. It's taught in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. We should suffer ourselves to be defrauded rather than fight in the church. Even if we don't go to the courts of the world, even if we bring the squabble into the church, the better procedure is to be defrauded. Hear these words from Proverbs 19.11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Is that consistent with 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8? Suffering yourself to be defrauded? Oh, can we, can you embrace that? Lord help us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Does any, has anybody ever in this room ever been a Pharisee in line with this doctrine? Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy? I think that's got a good ring to it. I'm going to love my friends and I'm going to hate those that aren't my friends. That's got a good ring. Do you, anyone else ever thought that way? Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, and here comes the Christian religion. This is the kind of heart you want to have. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. And it goes on to describe how God does that. And then it says in verse 46, For if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publican so? Be ye therefore perfect. We're talking about perfect hearts. We sang pure in heart. This is a perfect heart. 
loving your enemies. Your enemies can be your wife. Am I the only marriage? Sorry. Am I the only marriage that at times your spouse is your enemy? Everybody just sits there and looks at me like, Judas is our pastor. Can it be your children? Can it be a working a work colleague? Can it be your parents? You know, I, I want to get these enemies right in where the rubber meets the road. I don't, I don't want to be dealing with Osama bin Laden. You know, if we if we just limit loving our enemies to Osama, and he's way out there somewhere in you know Afghanistan or Pakistan. Well, he's not out there anymore. We hope. We want to bring it right in where. It, we have to deal with it. You know, can you, do you have, ever have enemies in the church? They're the ones that offend you. They're the ones that trespass against you. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. Never you, Mother Joy. She just looked up at me like, that is Judas. <laughs> you didn't. Embrace this right now. Forgiveness. Loving your enemies. The answer comes back, and I've heard it before, but they hate me, but they abuse me, they despitefully use me, they persecute me. Yes, that gives you the opportunity. If they're not doing those things to you, they're not your enemy. If they're not your enemy, you can't practice this level of reaching, it's a P word, perfection of the heart. Perfection of the heart is having someone despitefully use you, persecute you, hate you, but you pray for them, love them, and treat them well. You forgive them. You forget their wrongs against you. You love them and embrace them, and you do something kind and good for them. God does it. He sends His sunshine and His rain on atheists. What ought to happen to every atheist house? Listen, do I have any Boanerges in here? What ought to happen to every... God, I need to hear a bow and urges. Fire should fall from heaven and consume every atheist, shouldn't it? But he sends his sunshine and his rain equally on them as he does us. Amen. Oh Lord, teach us these things and so that they're part of our nature. Make it part of our heart. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is such a big one. It's the F one. Forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4. Lord, teach us to forgive like you forgive us. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Uh, let's get verse 31 so that we can see some of these sins being pulled together. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So that's things we're supposed to get rid of. Then verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Let's forgive each other like God has forgiven us through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is unlimited. Just forgive and forget and respond in kindness. Because it says that. Can we be tender-hearted about forgiving? If you make a person say, I'm sorry to you, what's your problem? God hasn't struck you dead, and you haven't said that you're sorry for everything you've done wrong. Where's your tender-heartedness? They're going to have to come and ask me. Well, I don't want any dealings with you. And neither does the Lord. I don't have to have you come and beg me to be forgiven. 
God doesn't have to be begged to forgive. Is there an added element of fellowship and friendship and peace and joy with the Lord when we ask for forgiveness and He can, when we confess and ask for forgiveness and He forgives us? Indeed. But has He ever forgiven you before you asked? Did you draw the next breath after you sinned? Did you draw the next 20 breaths? Did you have 20 good meals after you sinned? Was He still sending His sunshine and rain on you? And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, because the Lord knows we're going to offend each other. So when He's describing, when He's describing kindness here, it is not merely sending birthday notices or anniversary letters. That's a, that's a level of kindness and that's a level of charity. But in this context, the kindness and the tender-heartedness is forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And notice it's a one, one another duty. When we find in the Bible one another, that is one person to another person, and it's what we each of us owes everyone else in the congregation. And the Lord will be pleased with this church, and the Lord will be pleased with your heart if we forgive like that. Now come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Do you remember earlier this morning I mentioned Abaddon and Apollyon? Abaddon is Hebrew for destroyer, the name of the devil. Apollyon is Greek for destroyer, the name of the devil. The angel of the bottomless pit. Destroyer. I was over this a few months ago, but I want to go over this again right now. I want you to lay hold of this, of how important it is for you to forgive and have a heart that is clean and you are not holding anything against anyone. There is no, there's no grudges. There's no bitterness. You have forgiven. The situation at Corinth was in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, an incestuous fornicator was put out of the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the apostle is telling this church to take that incestuous fornicator that had been excluded from their membership back into membership. You can read about it in verse 6. Sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many. Church judgment is the whole church against that man. Verse 7, so that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him. Notice it's the F word that we're working on, the F sin. Forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. Show him your love. Take this excluded church member back in. Verse 10, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Do I need to read that verse again for you to figure out the F sin that is in that verse? Or did he repeat himself enough times? We're dealing with forgiveness. Look at verse 11. It is this connection, this connection I wanted to scare you. I wanted, I meant to scare you in a godly way. Look at the connection. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. If you do not forgive, you give the devil an advantage in your life. Does the devil need an advantage with you? No. He's a roaring lion and he's the devil. He is, he is more powerful, more witty, more intelligent, more creative than you can be. But you give him an advantage when you do not forgive. This connection is weighty. This connection should get your attention. You do not want anything in your life that you haven't forgiven. If there's somebody you haven't forgiven, then go to them this afternoon and forgive them. 
It'll lift a burden off of you and put joy and peace and hope in your life because you will have done what the Savior says to do and it will lighten your burden. If you don't forgive them, you just keep carrying that burden. Forgive them. And do it with some excitement. And thoroughly forgive them. And you know, when they start to say, because they're moved by your forgiveness, when they start to say, I'm sorry, oh, you don't need to say that. What? Do you, anybody here need to hear that? I mean, real forgiveness is, you don't need to say that. I'm forgiving you. Forget it. Let's go on. Does the Lord pound you when you go to Him and ask for forgiveness? Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So if the apostle wasn't ignorant of his devices, and it's in this context, what is one of his devices? Not forgiving fast enough. That if we don't forgive this incestuous fornicator that was excluded out of this church fast enough and take him back in and comfort him and confirm our love toward him, we are going to give Satan an advantage to tear this church apart. Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, you, I'm addressing about your family, I'm addressing about your marriage, I'm addressing about your soul, you give Satan an advantage if you don't forgive fast. Who can you go forgive? Remember? That little thing that's been between us for a long time? It's gone. I forgive you. I love you. Lord, help us. What are you holding on to in your heart to resent another person or to put up a protective wall to protect yourself? Not forgiving does not protect you. Would you please explain the logic of that? That you are protected by not forgiving somebody for something in the past? God withdraws and He no longer protects you because you're not pleasing Him. Lord, help everyone to see this so clearly. The lack of forgiveness hurts you the most. It doesn't hurt them the most. It hurts you the most. It separates you from God and it ruins your heart. And we're dealing with heart religion today. God's only going to forgive you to the degree that you forgive others. Right. Come back to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 15 to see that in print. I hope that you already saw that in Matthew chapter 18, it said that if you do not forgive your brother his trespasses from your heart, then your heavenly Father is going to treat you like that Lord in the kingdom there in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 6 and verse 15. We want to get both verses 14 and 15. Do you, want, do you know where we're at in this chapter? Can you see that the Lord's Prayer begins at verse 9 and ends at verse 13 with the Amen? So this is the Lord's Prayer given by Jesus Christ. And then He tacks on this explanation for some words that were in the Lord's Prayer. Because in the Lord's Prayer, we had the words, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so the Lord wants to, out of that prayer, pull out that one little bit, because that's the one that we usually need the most work on. 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Wow. Oh, doesn't that make you want to forgive everyone? I need extra forgiveness. So abuse me after the service and let's see if I can pull it off. And I, I'm speaking a little bit as a fool to make a point to you. Verse 15. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, and these aren't trespasses against God. They're trespasses against you. 
Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That is not a predicament that we want to get ourselves in where God is not forgiving us. And we get ourselves in that predicament when we allow offenses to remain in our hearts where we don't forgive others from the heart. And we give Satan an advantage in our lives. You say, I need a G. Okay, we're not making very much progress, but you know what? As long as you'll consider your heart's a little bit better this week, we will have accomplished what we need to accomplish. Second right. Corinthians chapter 9. I'm about done. Just hurry up with me. Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. This is all about the heart. And there's so much more that I can, we could go on for weeks and months. I don't want to do it. It's one day. Second Corinthians 9, 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Have you ever given to the Lord grudgingly? Why do I have to do this? Look at how much money this is. Do you know what I could do with this money? How am I ever going to get ahead giving this to the Lord? That is grudgingly. The pastor's always preaching about money. We gotta put money in the boxes up here. He's not always preaching about money. He hardly ever preaches about money, if the truth be known. It, but it's of necessity. Well, I just gotta do it. I gotta do it. If I don't do it, then I'm probably not gonna get ahead because the pastor says the people in the church that are the most successful are the ones that are the biggest givers. So I guess I should probably have to, you're just messing it all up. And it's coming from your heart. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. It should be the easiest money to give away. It should give you excitement to give it away. Because the Bible says to do it that way. The liberal, the liberal soul deviseth liberal things, and by liberal things shall he stand. God's going to protect him and, and hold that man up because he gives liberally. So we have giving. You know, the Lord's a great king. He doesn't want us just coming in and giving grudgingly or out of necessity. You don't want your... How many in here, how many husbands like their wives making love grudgingly or out of necessity? Do I need to explain the text anymore? You say you're getting too personal. Pastor, you're just too plain. No, I just am defining words for you at your level. Grudgingly or necessity? It's called mannequin sex. Okay, I got your point. (laughs) Cheerfully. Cheerfully is two people in love with each other. Cheerful giving is a person in love with the Lord. Look at Deuteronomy 15 with me. Deuteronomy 15. I like this one. I, I, it'll take us a little while getting there, but Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning at verse 7. Watch this. The Lord sees so much about our hearts. You see, does God really care about, oh yes. And be thou ravished always with her love. Does that sound grudging and Necessity? No. Watch this. Deuteronomy 15.7. We're talking about giving. If there be among you a poor man, or one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, I put the word or in there. Let me start over. I hate abusing the word of God. Forgive me. Strike me, Lord. Sorry. If there be among you a poor man, of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, 
Thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand. And thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not, and he crying the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. Amen. Oh, yes. Everybody becomes a financial analyst when they're giving to another person. Oh, yes. The year of release. I'm going to loan this guy $5,000 and the year of release is 18 months away. He's going to be relieved of his debts. He's not going to pay me back. Okay, I'll give you 1000 The financial analyst says, and you know what the Lord says? Don't you think that way? Don't you let that go through your heart. Don't do calculations like that. And I want to address everyone in this assembly that goes through any form of calculations about forgiving anyone for anything. You go, you go through calculations like that on any aspect of, of a matter like giving or a matter like forgiveness. The Lord sees that kind of a hard, cruel heart and it'll be sin with you. You say, well, if I just kept loaning money to people and the year of release came along, and they didn't pay me back my debts, how would I ever get ahead doing that? Because there's a God in heaven. And I think that I just read there in that Deuteronomy 15 that He will prosper you in your work while you're suffering the abuse of math. Is math the highest level of how things function in this world? I need a math teacher. Is math... Is math, math is not the highest level of how things function in this world because God's above math. How in the world could he say in Proverbs chapter 11, there is that scattereth, you know, don't pick it up, Abigail. You know, there is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. And there is that withholdeth more than its meat, but it tendeth to poverty. God is above math. And if we are thinking about those things in our heart, I, I want to share Deuteronomy 15 with you. That is how the Lord's looking at our hearts. He does the Bible say in Hebrews chapter 4, forgive me for not finishing any of my sentences in the last five minutes. But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, does it say the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do, seeing then that we have such a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Let us hold fast our profession. Since there's a Lord Jesus Christ sitting in heaven that sees our heart so perfectly, as I just shared with you, let us make sure that we hold fast our profession and keep his word. You will never lose giving. You will never lose blowing out the ideas of math and financial calculation to protect you. Giving. Oh, that's enough. There's something on the board. One more very quickly. P for pride. Pride. A high or overweening opinion of one's own qualities, attainments, or estate 
which gives rise to a feeling and attitude of superiority over and contempt for others. I'll read it again. A high or overweening opinion of one's own qualities, attainments, or estate, which gives rise to a feeling and attitude of superiority over and contempt for others. God hates pride. Okay, are you ready for this? There's no one special in this room. Especially you. There's no one special in this room. You are scum. You are scum professionally. You are scum aesthetically. That means you're ugly. You are scum. Why would you be proud? Why would I be proud? Let us humble ourselves. It's the devil's sin. God will judge it. Pride cometh before a fall. It's just a terrible thing. Nebuchadnezzar learned the the lesson in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 37. Those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. And if God can abase Nebuchadnezzar, do you know how easy it's going to be for you? (laughs) Because you're not even second cousin to Nebuchadnezzar when it comes to ability and power and position. Oh, Lord, help us not to be proud. Pride is worldly confusion that's about to destroy you. Do you know that everything you have, God gave it to you? There's no man in here that's built his own life. There's no man in here that's pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. What a man has is God gave it to him. And if God gave it to you, why are you rejoicing like you figured it out and earned it? That's 1 Corinthians 4, 7. If there's a difference between you and anybody else on your PU, it's a difference that God made. There are, Listen. Your pastor knows as well as you do that there are verses in the Bible about the diligent being rewarded. But when it comes to the matter of thinking about yourself, God does not include those in the equation. Because do you know why you're diligent? God gave you a set of parents that taught you about diligence. And not everyone in this room was taught the same way about diligence. God gave you pastors. God brought events into your life where you had mentors and bosses on the job that taught you about diligence, it all goes back to God. And if you start thinking that you are something, you are nothing. Stop thinking about yourself. Ask everyone else about their lives. Ask everyone else about their business. Ask everyone else about their job. Why should you do that? Because all their jobs, even if they're making one-tenth what you're making, is more important than your job. Lord, help us to get over pride. Pride will tear us apart. Pride will tear up families. Pride will tear up our church. It's one of the methods of the devil. It's one of his devices. His devices are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The pride of life. Get down mentally. Hate high thoughts. Proverbs 3, 7. Just give me a a few more seconds. Fuse a big word. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Chapter 8 and verse 13 describes the fear of the Lord this way. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Those things all go together. A froward mouth. Do all of you understand that less is more? Less 
about you is better. Less is more. Don't promote yourself. Don't promote yourself by thinking you're helping others. Be careful of every activity you choose in the guise of helping others. I'm encouraging others. Who said you're encouraging us? You didn't pass out a survey. If you would have passed out a survey and asked if your efforts under the guise of encouraging us when they're really to promote yourself, we would have answered your survey. We don't want you encouraging us anymore. You say you're so harsh. Well, it takes that to get through. There's nothing that will exalt you faster than humility. There's nothing that will get you higher than getting down low. If you will take a back seat, you'll end up on the front seat. If you take the front seat, we're going to put you at the back. And when I say we, I mean all of humanity. Because God and men are going to do that to you. Pride cometh before a fall. Humility comes before honor. Let's hate pride in every vestige of it. Let's be interested in each other. Let's lift each other up. Let's rejoice in the good things that happen to each other. Let's despise any effort to put ourselves forward or to promote ourselves or to think we're a leader or that we're going to make something happen. It'd be far better for us to call you forward and assign you a job of serving us than you trying to do that yourself. This is pride. I'll close with Philippians 2, 3 about it. Philippians says it so well. And it answers in S1, you know, self-love and self-esteem are taught today as the panacea for all human problems. And they're, they're sins in the Word of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Don't do anything that involves you getting glory out of it. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. See, it's internal. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I have said some things today that are hard to hear and that sound extreme, but that's what this text says. That's why I said those things. This text says, in lowliness of mind. That means think about yourself very lowly. In lowliness of mind... Let each esteem other better than themselves. Make everyone else here more important than you. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the mind. It's a thought process. Men want their wives to wake up in the morning and do what is scriptural and Christian, and that is to remember that their role is to serve their husband that day. The men need to wake up and know that they're to serve God that day and that everyone else is more important than they are. That's what it says. Esteem other better than themselves. And when it says other in the singular, what does it mean? It means every other person one at a time better than you. Esteem that way. You know, we love to quote the word of God. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. We know that that means to lift up God's precepts. Well, you need to be lifting up everyone else in the assembly and putting yourself down in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. God knows we have to take care of our own things, but God wants us looking on the things of others and esteeming them more important. That's pride. May the Lord flush it, take it, rip it out of our hearts that there be none in this church, not in the pulpit, not in the pew, not anywhere that we would esteem each other more important than ourselves 
and that we would practice these things. I hope that we will go out of here today knowing that our religion is a heart religion. God wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. We get very excited about truth. We can cover our failures with truth. But we want that spirit of a pure heart that we prayed for. Then we can best represent the truth. Our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with each other, the peace of this church, the prosperity and fruitfulness of this church, your prosperity on the job, all of it can be traced back to heart religion. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Do you know what king we want to befriend the most? The Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we start by loving pureness of heart. We sang the song. May the Lord bless us to put that into practice. Amen.